Hi there, and welcome to episode 109 of the Agile Podcast. This is the first of 2021. I'm Jeff Watts, and this year, Paul Goddard and I have decided to run an experiment with a new type of episode now and again. We've invited some famous names to join us for a slightly lengthier chat, and Paul and I will then use our normal episode to discuss what we talked about and try and stitch in some of the snippets and sound bites of the actual conversation in post-production. It's an experiment, like I said, and we'll be looking for some feedback on how interesting you find it compared to our normal episodes, so please let us know what you think. The easiest way to do that is through Twitter, at The Agile Pubcast. If you find yourself wanting to listen to the whole conversation with our special guests, then you can do that. You need to visit patreon.com slash theagilepubcast and subscribe to us there. We've gone big with our first one of these episodes and invited one of our personal Agile heroes, the great Mike Cohn. Mike was an inspiration to us when we worked at BT, and indeed we talked about his involvement in helping set up and lead both the Agile Alliance and the Scrum Alliance some 20 years ago, and he also inspired and helped us with his groundbreaking books on user stories, estimating and planning, and succeeding with Agile. He's such a sought-after speaker. Indeed, one of our colleagues once famously said that she'd pay to listen to Mike read a menu. It was fascinating to learn that he's an introvert like Paul and I, and has very similar rituals before running classes. We had a fantastic time chatting to Mike. It's been a long time since we've been able to catch up, and we ended up speaking for about an hour and a half. So here is a summary of what we talked about. We hope you like it, and remember, if you want to hear the whole chat, then head on over to patreon.com slash theagilepubcast. But for now, grab yourself a drink, raise a toast, and settle in, because here's the good old jingle. Happy New Year, or just New Year. <laughs> Less of the happy. Well, I've tried. To, I've tried to be really good. And um, uh, if you're viewing on video, you might be able to see that. But behind me on oh, my yeah. whiteboard, yeah. I try and write little um, little messages. Like friends, you put in a little message. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking the other day, did you watch Friends? Because I was thinking, I don't think you've ever really made or recognised any of the Friends references. Did you watch Friends? I've I've watched some episodes. I wouldn't say I'm a Friends fanatic. You're you're a bit more fanatical about it than I am. But well, I, I wouldn't say, but I'm not fanatical. My, my kids. Are, I could but, count. Um, I could count on two hands the number of episodes I've watched. I think. Okay. Yeah. So that that wouldn't have meant anything yet. They no. were sort of like one of the in jokes in the Friends series. Wasn't it on the back of the, the kitchen door? On the back of the door as they were. Yeah. I knew there was something always written on. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Kind of a bit lost on me. But here we are. Yeah, it's someone, like, yeah, someone, we're, go on, talking over you. No, no, I was just going to say, someone. I was on a on a call on a team session the other day, and someone has uh, they changed their book that's showing on the end of their uh, bookshelf every day, yeah. okay. and see if people notice. Um, sometimes it's kind of they say it's relevant. You know, it's relevant to how they're feeling or relevant to what the team's doing or whatever. Sometimes it's sort of a subliminal message. Um, but w when you're aware of it, then you look for it. But if you're not aware of it, it could be about you. Mm. So now I'm going to keep looking to see what's on your whiteboard. 
No, you're just looking so at if you're writing anything me. abusive. Yeah. About me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it will incentivize people to uh, subscribe to our Patreon channel so they can see the video episodes so they'll be able to see what I am writing. <laughs> Maybe. What are you drinking there? A cup of tea? Exactly. It's, um, it's, it's not, let me be clear, it's not dry January, which is, a, I'm not sure if, is that a UK thing or is that a global thing, dry January? Oh, I is, don't think it's possibly a Western society thing. Yeah. I think but, it's um, something in America too. Trying to abstain from alcohol. I'm not. I'm not following that because I uh, I fell off that wagon on about yeah about nine p.m. on New Year's Day I think. But um, mm. no, it's just it's that it is um, not going to try and disguise the time. It's the middle of the afternoon here, and I just thought, really, do I need to start drinking at three in the afternoon on a on a Wednesday? Possibly mm. not. So I thought better. better if fall if one we through. were in a pub, then maybe 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 different, but. I think it would be. No. Absolutely would be different. Absolutely. Well, I'm Still drinking no a cup of, tea out, cup of tea out my Mr. Tickle mug today. Mr. Tickle. I, I, <laughs> sorry. I'm drinking a non-alcoholic cider with basically apple juice. Lovely. Cheers to 2021. Happy New Year, mate. Yeah, absolutely. It's the first one, first one we've done since, um, since our Christmas message. So it, it's, we, uh, we kind of apologise to our listeners that maybe they were expecting with lockdown 3.0 that's um, hit um, the UK that they were expecting more or something more often, more frequently. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been a tough month, certainly in this house. Um, mm. I don't know if it's the same for you, but um, homeschooling didn't go down particularly well from either my kids or from us as parents. Mm. So we struggled with that at the best of times last year. And then to be told straight after new year that, it's got to happen again as i'm sure lots of parents are in the same boat but it's not um it doesn't make um parenting any easier having to and i take my hat off to teachers who are you know who do it on a, on a weekly basis and it's tough it is tough to do it at home mm. so um yeah that that news hit us all quite hard in this house mm. and you've been busy and uh, yeah yeah as well as as well as all that so Juggling. Yeah, we uh, so it is and it isn't our first, and that's kind of how we we need to set things up. We need to explain things a little bit, really, because yeah, we have had a beer for the podcast already. Yeah, last week was it last week or the week before? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is going to be the first episode, and yeah. uh, so a brief explanation. January, we, we always come up, well, I see we're always coming up with crazy ideas in January. It's probably not just limited to January, but if, I think if you did some kind of research over the last 15 years, more crazy ideas between us have been had in January than any yeah. other month, I would guess. Um, so one of our crazy ideas for, for this year is to try a different type of podcast episode, an experiment a little bit, see what, see what things are like. So we've managed to rope in a number of uh, special guests mm. and last week was our first one when we started off big um heavyweight we aimed high didn't world. we we did aim yeah. high and i think we we it, if we were fishing jeff mm. that would have been a good good first catch i think yeah caught, caught a monster bass there <laughs> uh, so yeah last week we, we we managed to get mike cone to uh, to have a drink with us, and we had a, a quite a long chat actually. Yeah, well, um, yeah. part of the reason for for not putting that out as an episode is because it's it's over an hour long. 
and we try and keep our episodes shorter. So the point here is we're just going to discuss that episode. We're going to stitch in a few little snippets here and there to add a little bit of colour um, and sort of summarise the conversation that we had with Mike. But if you want the whole episode, then you can go over to the Patreon account because that's where we stick you know, everything, all the unseen and uncut versions. Um, and we've got a number of different guests lined up from around the world. Yeah. It's, which we're going to try and fit in as well as we can. It's exciting. Yeah, we've um, we've basically gone through our... If, if we had a Rolodex, if you had a, yeah. a, a list of... You know, our, Little black these, book. It's going through a yeah, little black book on your desk, um, but going through our phones these days and trying to pull out names from our past. And um, we won't give too many spoilers away now, but we're going to try and do these fairly regularly. And um, and it's nice to catch up with people that we haven't seen or spoken to for a long time. Mm. And a big mixture as well. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's good. Well, we will probably do some, some normal episodes. I say normal. Yeah. Uh, what's the word? Familiar style mm. episodes, mm. I suppose. Traditional. So yeah, we'll, we'll crack on. So, um, what's what what stood out for for you from our conversation with Mike? Well, firstly, it was it was just nice to see him because I was trying to remember. I felt a little bit starstruck, and I I think I spoke <laughs> to you about this just before because Mike certainly for me, Mike was a massive influence on me from the very from the very beginning, and um, yeah kind of back early 2000s I suppose when I first I was dipping my toe into training and coaching Mike's material and Mike's um Mike was a voice wasn't he and he was there weren't there weren't as many voices to listen to back then I think and um True. Mike's voice was certainly one that was inspiring for me and my a lot of my and even I told him that on the call you did you had your own little fanboy moment didn't you I did and I felt quite embarrassed and I, I didn't mean to embarrass him about it but um I just I held up one of the the book that that kind of um, shaped my my journey I think in the in the early days in the book that I still refer to now, <laughs> and then he said oh I, that's a lot one of the books I go back and rewrite which was <laughs> I thought was, was it almost is that an insult or I didn't know whether to take that as a kind of backwards insult but yeah it was nice that I think he was quite humble in that respect respect that a lot of the things that. And he said to me about the fact that books themselves aren't particularly agile things anyway. And he's, mm. he's written, a lot of people don't know the, the books that he wrote even before his agile stuff. Yeah. So he's very much um, embedded in kind of software development from pre kind of agile manifesto stuff. Mm. So it was nice. Um, he was quite humble that one of those things he'd go back and, and probably make a, a, you know, a, a stronger voice on certain things and change things that he wrote. To, but that, it was still a huge influence on me, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, thanks for the the comments on the book. But to me, that you know, that book is just another example of something where I've changed my mind about things. I still love the core premise of that book. But one of the things I did in that book is I didn't want to come down firmly on the side of story points, and so I talked equally about yeah. story points or time. And just having worked with teams um, in the fifteen years since that book. Um, I'm just much more adamant about story points being a better way to estimate because of the ability for people to agree who work at different speeds, mm -hmm. right? If we work at different speeds, we can't agree on days, but we could yeah. agree that this is twice as big as that. So he was quite balanced, but now he would be less balanced. Yeah. And it's still, so he's talking about story points there. And the book I referred to was Agile Estimating and Planning. And he's, um, it's, it's amazing. That's still one of the, the perhaps the hardest um 
principles or kind of uh, techniques to try and convince a lot of the teams that I teach and coach now. Even even now, story points are still quite scary and and, and still quite um, challenging in many respects to step away from time. But it's interesting to hear that he'd push it even more now um, than than he ever would. Mm. But given your starstruck nature, um, he he is just like us, right? He, I mean, he's he's had to move from in-person training to online training. Yeah, um, he's. I mean, he was just a workaholic. Well, even back in the day, he was a workaholic, um, and now he's found himself in a in a different place. Um, but also, I think you you were surprised to hear about the fact that he's even more like us in terms of his sort of introversion, right? Yeah, and yeah, he, he was. I mean, he came up. That was quite early in the court in the in the chat, wasn't it? And he, because um, mm. we talked about um, online training, and yeah, he is for someone who is so. Um, so in demand as a speaker, I suppose it's a bit like but you and I really that that our background is always is, you know we've we're just you know, self-confessed introverts and he's he's very similar. So he spoke about a lot of the same um, routine. He's like he's like a creature of habit. He likes his routine. Um, I'll just play the clip. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm a total introvert and. Whenever I would teach a class in person, I'd kind of have to psych myself up for the first day because I'd, you know, I'd walk around and I'd introduce myself to, you know, 40 or 50 new people. And that's hard as an introvert. And I love it once I do it. But it's like, you know, I normally be in like my hotel room. Going, OK, I got to go meet 50 new people. Right. And um, it's a little bit different with Zoom. We do. Uh, we have like a little website where people introduce themselves. And so, you know, I learned a little. Uh, little things about people before I actually meet them, which is kind of nice. Cause then when I go to meet them, I know that like one guy I met recently was a, a master fermenter. Um, you know, I met somebody who was on um, Jeopardy, the TV show, you know, and they put all these little things, little bios. And so it's kind of nice meeting people when you already know, I mean, just like three facts about them, like where do they live and one strange thing. And uh, I don't know, it's been, it's been fun meeting people that way and having a little bit different relationships with people that way you see he said that he's met someone that's been on t on jeopardy but he he didn't realize he'd met me who's well, been on it. tv not just once but been on three times four times if you include you've been framed at christmas this year look it up people yeah. igb hub <laughs> well maybe that will be one of his new <laughs> facts about mike for the future uh, yeah, we're not it, going to, it should be I, I, be, I may well write to him now and tell him that that's one thing that we didn't tell that he missed that he needs to pick up on. Yeah. No, it was um, and it was fascinating to hear him talk about um, Zoom online training and some of the extra kind of. So he has. He sounds like he has like a whole um, website set up for people to meet virtually and for, before his training sessions. And I imagine his training sessions are, are much bigger than mine. But that's that's what's missing on Zoom and that kind of. We spoke a little bit, didn't we, about spontaneity, mm. about that the the informal informal nature of of training that's kind of a little bit been lost by the Zoom element is you don't have that time to meet over a coffee machine and, and exchange your your details and, and where where you work and something a lot more casual. That that casual element has gone from not just training, I think, but but also from just just teamwork, that teamwork mm. element. Yeah, we had. I was on a course recently as a, as an attendee, and um, the the um, there was a, a pre-course introductory webinar, 
so where the attendees could come and just introduce themselves to each other and sort of get a lot of that introduction stuff out of the way before the start of the course. So it, was it, was without, a couple of days. it was without the trainer? It was without the... No, no, no the trainers were there as well um, right. and they were doing some of the introductions uh, and also just sort of letting you know how the course was going to run, yeah. get any questions out of the way. So it was sort of an extra hour, yeah. a few, like maybe a week before the yeah. start. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's, that's how Mike does it. Um, but then we we had this was we sort of badged this as you know we've we've been around this for a while you've been around this for a while mike and it's 20 years since the agile manifesto that that kind of time frame um and whether he thought anything fundamental had changed over the time mm. remember that yep yeah yeah and he talks yeah should we play the clip let's play one of them yeah talk to people when we're you know doing coaching or training is whether this being on Zoom counts as face-to-face, -face, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm pretty sure that the 17 authors of the manifesto in 2001 were not thinking about Zoom as counting as face-to-face, -face, but uh, I think what has changed in the 20 years since then is I do think it counts. It's not as good as being, you know, in the same room with somebody, but it's a whole lot better than a phone call. It's a whole lot better than an email. And um, I think in many ways it is good enough. Yeah. Um, I think um, this, this comes up time and time again, not just from our chat with Mike, but on, on the, um, on regular calls that I'm training courses, it's particularly with, with coaching scrum masters about how difficult they're finding it. And, and I know, and Mike's right. There is a, you know, you do have that little window into people's lives you're seeing that little bit more of, of their human side because they're in, in many cases they're at home and you're seeing that you are seeing your cameras on and, and a lot of companies mm -hmm. now are having a, a camera on policy which is which is quite nice you know if you're in a, in a meeting you wouldn't be there with a bag on your head you'd, you'd actually you know you'd be there in person which i think is great but you are very much focusing on you know in many cases the neck up that's all that's all mm -hmm. you're getting and i think and mike mentioned around eye contact yeah and it's the number of eyes and again this plays into introversion as well so if you are in gallery mode you might have 10 15 up to 20 pairs of eyes on you as, as a speaker mm -hmm. so that that does make things difficult for people who are not comfortable speaking with that many eyes looking at them so yeah it's um is it is it face to face it's an interesting thing and i don't th i know a lot of scrum masters who are who need need face to face and it's not zoom they're not mm -hmm. they're not getting what they need um from a team setting from from an online tool like this and, and my we all shared that on the call that me you and mike we are we got into this because we wanted to be part of a team yeah. and agile was attractive to us because we wanted to be face-to-face -face people we enjoy being face-to-face -face and we enjoy the the camaraderie of, of working with with people closely and that's you can kind of bypass it a little bit with a remote tool like this but i don't think it it replaces it yeah i think we're still in the the early days even though it's been a year really since we've been working from home uh, we're still in the early days of of adapting things aren't we i think we mm. we, we held on held on as much as long as we could to to our previous ways of doing things and trying to change as little as possible but but I, I didn't, um, I, some, I sometimes forget and, and I wonder if other, our listeners know the full story as well with, with Mike and um, 
Mike wasn't didn't join the party necessarily after the after two thousand and one. It was was after the Agile Manifesto was formed. Mike mm. had actually been was very you know within that space, and he was friendly with a lot of those Agile authors and and uh, those those um, manifesto signatories, well mm. before the two thousand and one was formed. So Mike's and his early work is is the books he was working with uh, Ward Cunningham, and he talked briefly about how the Scrum Alliance was formed out of the Agile Alliance and his, yeah. he's been around a long time and he's, he's, um, he's not, he's not just jumped on that, that Scrum bandwagon. He's actually an integral part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was interesting how he said, uh, how Ward Cunningham sent him and he said, this is what I did this weekend and sent him a link to the Agile Manifesto because Ward was, was working yeah. with Mike at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think he kind of doesn't. Him, didn't he meet Ken through Ward? Wasn't there? Wasn't there a connection there? He's he's spoke briefly how he met Ken. Um, well, a lot of that stuff was um, through the old style forums. So let's we'll play this thing. We can always cut it if we need. We met when the um, uh, the Agile Alliance was getting founded. So the manifesto was written um, in February of 01, and I had a project I was running where we brought in Ward Cunningham as a consultant, and Ward um, did the manifesto, um, and he emailed me like the next day. He'd been on our project a couple times, and he emailed me the next day and said, look what I did the last couple of days, <laughs> and sent me, you know, sent me the, the, the page, right? He'd put up the initial page, right? It hasn't changed in 20 years, yeah. and he sent me that initial page, and... Um, I said, oh, great. This is, you know, as you know, this is what we're doing here too, because he'd been on our project. And um, I said, how do I get involved? And that was when I met Mary Poppendick. And Mary and I um, were the ones to kind of file some of the paperwork to get the Agile Alliance started and stuff like that. There are a lot of other people involved. We just did the, you know, the, the paperwork stuff. And um, then uh, met, met Ken through that. I was certainly aware of him um, and aware of Jeff, because a lot of Scrum was talked about in, um, comp.lang.smalltalk on the old Usenet. Mm -hmm. And so I'd interacted with a few with a few of them in that uh, that old Usenet forum. So so many names, fascinating just all just meeting. It's, it's mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just uh, hi hi Marlon. <laughs> would you would you like to meet Mary? Would you like to meet Ken? So all these, you know, these uh but they hadn't they hadn't written all their famous books and things by then, were they? They were yeah. Just mere mortals. Yeah. But can you imagine now Mike and Mary sitting down at a coffee table somewhere with loads of paperwork trying to create a create the company Alliance. called the Agile yeah. Alliance? Yeah. Uh, and another thing that, that I liked, and I'm not sure if we have a clip on this, we can perhaps, um, mm -hmm. was he mentioned he gave tribute, didn't he, to Esther? Mm. And a lot of people, um, I'm not going to say they forget about Esther, but Esther, again, Esther for me made a big impact on my. Uh, training journey, my coaching journey, um, and and Mike talked briefly about Esther was a big proponent of retrospectives. And the original uh, back in the early day, the early days when we started doing Scrum, early two thousands, retrospectives weren't fundamentally part of Scrum. They were they were mm -hmm. something that were it was just a sprint review, um, and it was mainly focused on the products and how to improve the products. Esther was the one that really made a case for retrospectives being a deliberate standalone element of the scrum framework and you know talking about stuff that's changed over the years um a lot of people will look at like the sprint retrospective is one of the fundamental things mm. in scrum and it's not right or, or it wasn't right it wasn't there at the beginning and that's like 
okay, oversight, we didn't think about it. <laughs> well, I remember being actively opposed to adding a retrospective into wow. Scrum. Really? Yeah, I know it's shocking, right? It's like, who would be opposed to this? Well, <laughs> here's the logic, here's the logic. Why should I wait until the end of the sprint to tell my team how to get better? If I notice a way to get better, I should tell them that day. It should come up in the in the daily scrum, right? And I think there's a lot of merit to that argument, right, at a kind of a theoretical level. Yeah. But what happens is I come up with a way to for my team to get better. We're too busy. I don't mention it at the daily scrum. And then I forget about it and it never comes up, right? Because we're all so busy. Mm -hmm. And so having that dedicated time, and this was to, to Esther Derby's credit, she's the one that, that pushed for it. Having that dedicated time, absolutely essential to scrum. No, I just like the way that Mike, and he's always been like this, as, as he can stand up and have a really strong opinion based on years and decades of experience. Um, but he's always been open to, do you know what? I might've got that wrong or I might, I might be wrong there. And being able to look back and say, because no one could, no one could say anything else, right? Maybe, well, maybe Esther and Ken could. Mike could, could quite happily have sat there and said, no, I was, I was always in favor of having retrospectives in Scrum. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and we couldn't have said anything else, right? But he was, he was perfectly happy to say, you know what? Yeah, hands up there, I think. Yeah, drop the ball there. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's a very humble guy and um, quite happy to, yeah, you're right. And I remember being in, in the room with him. I think it must have been in Minneapolis. In, in this is 2006. And it was a trainer, um, a, a trainer gathering with, and Ken Shway was, was leading it. And Mike, you know, we've talked before about there's um, some people don't have to say very much, but when they do say it, it's worth listening to. And I always felt Mike was that kind of voice in the room that um, when and even now, just listening to his voice there. He does tend to have a, a, a sit down and listen kind of voice. Is it just stop what you're doing and listen to this? Um, which is gr a great balance to have, isn't it? It's, it's powerful stuff, but it's also humble. Yeah. A nice combination. Strong words, softly spoken. Is what Very I much so. Yeah. And we spoke up a little bit as well, didn't we? About, we asked, so it's 20 years, uh, obviously now since the Agile Manifesto. We, we spoke a bit about what does the next 20 years look like? And I thought that was, a, that, that was an interesting meandering conversation he spoke about um dropping the whole the the premise the word of stop having to stop teaching and and, and preaching i suppose about the word agile anyway which mm. i thought was um was a was a great point yeah that's fine i want agile to go away um i know that <laughs> sounds bad um but i wanted to i want us to stop talking about it right i want to get to the point where we don't have to do this object oriented programming to come in and fight against structured programming and objects won, and then we yeah. stopped talking about it for years and so as an example nobody says oh i got to go to the object oriented design meeting right we don't talk about it that way it's just it's one it's what we do I kind of want it to be the same way where we stop talking about scrum. We stop talking about being agile and it's just like, well, of course we're this way. It's just what we do. Yeah. And, um, you know, we just go about doing projects and we're arguing about practices and techniques and stuff like that. I, I do. I do agree. I hope we will get to that point where we're not, we're not comparing agile with, with a different way of working. It's become, it has become the way, the way that, that students have been taught. And it's the way that companies have grown yeah. and um, the old guard, if you want to call it that, have kind of long retired and, um, <laughs> and moved on. Well, that's a more polite way of putting it than, uh, than, than how we talked about it on the actual conversation, but we'll, we'll <laughs> leave it like that. <laughs> we'll leave it like that. Yeah. Um, and 
he had some interesting thoughts about the future, just you know, in general. Yes. And uh, thinking maybe, maybe there won't be teams in the future. Are we at the end of the era of teams? And I think of the era of teamwork having started in about 1990, um, and Scrum accelerated that. the The new new product development game article in '95 talking about cross functional teams. And so we've had this era of teams over the last 30 years or so, and it might have another 10 years or so to go where teamwork is the big thing. And then after that, there's some evidence that we're headed towards a world of what's called hyper-specialization or micro-specialization. And in that type of world, an example I would give would be something like, I need a login screen coded for my new SaaS application. I hire the world's best login screen programmer, right? And that person is a hyper-specialized expert in that and they know how to write login screens. I don't think I'd want to be a hyper-specialist. Why you? not? Sounds, sounds good. I, I mean, it's a nice job title to have, <laughs> but to, boring, right? <laughs> and also, and we, it plays into the, obviously if we are accelerating that right now, this the remote element to work. So yeah tools and technologies are going to rapidly improve in that space as well it would make I can see why it could come about right like you said yeah. it's, it's remote so i could do i could do my login stuff for any company anywhere in the world yeah. and if i just become an expert of that then i can you know just sell that service relatively cheap but just do a lot of it I think it lends itself more to work if you look at complexity around this it, it lends itself more to more repeatable yeah. Um, analytical problems, um, mm -hmm. less less bespoke, more you know, more turning the wheel type type problems. Yeah. You know, I, I need a login screen. I'll just get yeah. You know, it's been done a hundred times before. You know, if there's a need and uh, for something a bit more um, diverse, a bit more bespoke, maybe mm. maybe not. But I, I that that feel that that wor not worries me, but that concerns me slightly that. I hope it doesn't die off, and, but that's me. And, and, and maybe I've got to be realistic about this, that um, in, in 25 years time, maybe I won't be doing this anymore. I don't know. I'm gonna, I told you I want to be a postman. That's, that's, that's my, that's my uh, well, way out of this. I think there's more chance of there being teams than there is being postman, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. The drones will take that job before well, they'll take the, uh, the login screen I ride, job, ride but... a bicycle and post, post letters. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, you can do that. It just might, it might be letters that you have to write yourself. That's all. <laughs> but um, no, it's uh, that sort of future. Uh, for, for, for what it's worth, and again, we sort of had a bit of a conversation about this. I think it's just a case of what is complex in 10 years' time, because mm. what's complex now might not be complex in 10 years' time, in which okay. case it can be automated, it can be outsourced, and, and it can be made really, really efficient. But then there'll be new complex problems, there'll be new unknowns. Um, and unless you know artificial intelligence is, has overtaken us and that's what solves the complex problems mm. who knows but uh, i still think there'll be need for teams i still think there'll be need for collaboration um it'll just be on different types of problems mm. i hope so no it's a great chat and i really enjoy it and we tr i tried to think back i can remember bumping into mike in a lift I think in London somewhere. And I said to him, uh, I didn't tell him this on the call, by the way, but I said, um, oh, Jeff says hi. I was trying to name drop that. I, I know Jeff. Um, <laughs> and, and he went, yeah, 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 yeah. Say hi from Jeff. Yeah, I remember Jeff. Um, but it's great. He didn't get me mixed up with Nigel, which was nice. Uh, yeah. That didn't happen. Um, but no, it's good. It was, it was nice to see him again. And 
he just he hasn't changed and um one of our colleagues from bt you might not remember this but um once famously said and nigel will will, will remember this said i'd pay to to listen to mike Cone read a menu that's how good he is so it's a nice a nice if i had that on my gravestone i think i'd be a happy man <laughs> oh it's definitely a, it's definitely a compliment isn't it yeah nice guy yeah. thoroughly one of the good guys absolutely yeah and uh, something that someone that we've we've always looked up to don't mm. never understood how he managed to to do so much he he, he explained you know, it's because he absolutely thoroughly enjoyed what he was doing he didn't really feel like it was long hours he didn't really feel like it was work but um yeah he certainly put a lot in he's done a lot of voluntary work he's he's taken on unpaid positions been leader of scrum alliance agile alliance mm -hmm. um all sorts of different things so yeah and now uh, he's he's sort of moving he's, he's trying to take account of his changing circumstances you know, massive traveler um, yeah uh, but obviously can't at the moment so doing all sorts of different things he um i think the other thing for me was just sort of double backing if you like on the humble side of things was he said he thinks the Agile Manifesto would have been worse if he'd have been in the room when it was okay. written, mm. which I thought was um, interesting. I'll just play that clip now if I can. But if I had been at the meeting where it was written, one of the things I would have argued against, and I'm not proud of this, but one of the things I would have argued against is I feel like they double dipped on the, the collaboration aspect. Again, I'm not proud of it, right? But the individual interactions over process and tools. Okay. So we're talking about teamwork. Then we also have customer collaboration over contracts negotiation, right? And so I know that I would have been in that meeting going, Hey guys, we're saying this twice. Do we, you know, do we really need to? And again, not proud of that. Cause I think it's a good thing that they double dipped on it. Cause it's probably the most important thing about agile. And mm -hmm. then it worked out as a good thing. All right. So just another classic example of something that, um, yeah, he would have had a very strong opinion about there and is willing to say yeah maybe i was wrong and i just don't know maybe maybe it's just because of where the world is right now and um i just don't see enough of that revisiting your own beliefs right mm. yeah. yeah it's almost almost like the you know, once i've made a statement no matter how much evidence someone puts in front of me i'm going to double down on what i said because i don't want to admit i was wrong yeah yeah and we don't especially with um yeah opinions on twitter and yeah, or social media as such you, you don't see you don't see a, a lot of humility in, in, in on many channels these days which is it's nice to see to talk to someone who does firm, firmly always um double checks or you know always willing to admit that the, the things have changed things have moved mm. on i just think it's a really good combination it's something that i, I picked up from um a dan pink video when he was doing, giving some sense kind of I think they call them sort of commencement addresses or graduation addresses or something where a bunch of students who are graduating or starting college or something like that, they get a famous person in to give them a motivational speech. And he said, I think they were lawyers. And he said, you know, you've been taught very well to argue um, because you need to make your point and convince people that your point is, is right. So you should argue as if you're right. Uh, but one thing you probably haven't been taught is to listen as if you're wrong. Um, and I think I've seen a lot of either or in teams i see see people who are very happy to argue as if they're right and i see a lot of people who are willing to listen as if they're wrong and don't give themselves the chance or the the, the self-confidence to put their point forward mm. um, but to be able to do both that's that's the 
that's this Jeff Southern always use that phrase secret source you know that mm. sweet spot if you like mm. absolutely no that's good excellent it was it was a lovely chat yeah long, long may he be around to uh, to guide guide me and uh, and us and and many others into the future you know there might be a second edition of agile estimating and planning coming out maybe, <laughs> heard it here, maybe. No, it's good. But yeah, if um, if if we we are always interested in in thoughts and whether people like this kind of um, approach, it's different. It's it's an experiment. We'll have we'll have a, we'll give it a few goes as with any experiment. It's just not just a one off. If you got any feedback or if there are particularly any people you want us to try and reach out to uh, to to get on the show, then let us know. Uh, and of course, if you want to listen to the whole and watch the whole. Um, hour long special then head on over to uh, patreon.com slash the agile podcast that's the one all righty no it's good yeah so um stay tuned people uh, make sure you're subscribed on whichever channels or wherever you get your podcasts because that's where you'll hear about the next episode first mm. and cheers to 2021 cheers mr tickle says cheers cheers pal. <laughs>